everybody, and welcome back to a very special episode of LARPs and Tops. We're here in Anvil recording live, or at least live for us. Tonight we are interviewing very special ex-league general, Tim. Hi. Can you tell us who your character was on the field? I, I still play Gabriel Barossa, who I was a league general for several years. I forget how many. Um, I started being a general at the end of year one and had a brief break where I was replaced, uh, was general again, and then retired last event at E4. Um, but yeah, I've retired in character for religious reasons, out of character because I've got a four-year-old and need to do more childcare. I bet general uh, generalship takes up a lot of time for uh, other things at Anvil. It eats a lot of time if you want to do the job well. If you just want to show up to meetings, you can, but you'd be a bit rubbish. Um, the, you end up doing a lot of informal strategy meetings, a lot of influencing everybody, a lot of trying to persuade everyone that you're right and they should definitely do your plan. Mm. I think one of my favourite examples I heard on another podcast were when, was when you spoke out against, yes, the Valorna are a threat, but not, they're not the only threat. Oh, I got in so much trouble for that. <laughs> it's the best <laughs> way to be. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's still a thing that causes arguments. But yeah, that one, um, you fe- that was a typical example of where you get someone made a very emotive argument in the meeting. Um, before the meeting, everyone had decided, yeah, we agree, the Navarre yeah, they're going to push us to do this thing, but we shouldn't do it. It's the wrong thing to do. Tactically, the right choice is this other thing. We've spent a year building up to it. This is the moment. If we don't do it, it's wasted. Got to the meeting. The Navarra really persuasive, really emotive. And everyone, you suddenly, it's like you could see the room change and no one wanted to argue with them. And I thought, no, I'm that dickhead. I'm going to argue with them. Be that dickhead. Yes. Yeah. No one else supported me at all. It was great. <laughs> well, you're a leaguer. You say that... It- points that matter you think of the <laughs> wider picture rather than just the emotive here and now you think about the money the resources all sorts i'm sure yeah i mean we're not biased at all but we agree that we are the nation to get things done this is a very special episode for me considering it's two leaguers talking usually i'm outnumbered by dornish or navarre so yeah, i'm feeling so very special i'm a bit sad that morgan's not here to be honest always like 10 meters away not talking just because you no know, otherwise i'd be able to troll him more yeah well we can always uh, throw in a few disses of glory charges here and there the unsound tactics and whatnot. <laughs> oh. I will not, sorry, I will not stand by and observe this slander. Actually, no, I guess I will. <laughs> no, I mean, there's some really good stats about this, but it depends how nerdy you want to get. But there's, um, I'm quite nerdy about these things. Um, a while ago, I started keeping a list of battle victories by nation because I wanted to see what happened. And there's a friend in Dawn who was helping with it because he was better at statistics than I was, mm. who was looking at, um, he took all my figures and said, well, what's the percentage chance you get of a win if you put any two given nations together? Because we're trying to work out what's your best combo, which nation is... Because some nations are just pretty good. Mm. They win more often. Some nations lose more often. And some of them lose quite often, but maybe if you put them in these other nations, they do better. So we were trying to find our killer combos. We haven't really found them yet, but we're trying. Uh, Is it true that the league currently has the biggest win count for battles on the field? Well, since you put me on the spot, I must admit that's true. Uh, Dawn and Navarre are only one behind us. Okay. Um, But no, league league were tied with the two of them for a while. Then we had the year back after COVID. We snuck ahead. Uh, it's now getting a bit more pronounced the, the problem with that data is unfortunately because of Covid there's like just, even though there's in, in character only a one year gap out of character there's a huge churn of players mm. so I kind of look at some of my data and think well is it really valid anymore because what happened three years ago how many of the same people are about well considering we've only fought with the block two or three times I still like to consider it's quality over quantity in our case absolutely yeah yes. well, definitely the smallest nation but 
No, pack the biggest punch. Yeah. So, one of the reasons I brought you on today is you are you did reenactment. No, I still do. Yeah, still do. Much less now these days, but. Um... I want to know how your time as a reenactor has impacted on your time as a LARPer, or vice versa. Has it had a massive impact? Little? Has it changed how you played the game? Have you gone into LARP, and has it changed how you see reenactment? Both and massively. Uh, well, first so, thing I should, if you don't mind me asking, yeah. uh, what did you start with? Was it reenactment first or was it LARP? It was reenactment first. I got into it at uni um, literally 30 years ago. I'm 48 now. I started at 18. And I joined what was kind of a tournament group. We mostly did single combats, occasional melees, and we'd go to the odd battle, you know, because there weren't very many reenactment battles in the calendar those days. So you'd get three main battles that were on for the period we were doing. So you'd do loads of tournaments, loads of single combat, and three times a year you'd get to fight a battle and you were very excited about it. Yeah. And I think I was kind of lucky because the group I joined were very enthusiastic about those battles and the guy that was leading my group was of a sort of tactical mindset. So he didn't just want to go into a line and fight. He wanted to think about what worked and try different things, some of which didn't, some of which worked brilliantly and we'd replicate. And... I could learn a lot from him, and some of that has really applied to LARP. Um, then I learned things from LARP that I've taken back to reenactment tactically, and the, the issue I find with reenactment these days is you tend to be limited by a script. So they, they'll yeah. tell you, no, I want the left flank to move forward 20 paces, engage them, you'll fight for three minutes, come back, and no, you'll have those scripted moments, and at the end they'll say, right, this side loses now. So what you tend to find is everyone lives right until the end, and one side all dies, and you do it exactly according to the script. Um, so you don't get the same tactical awareness you get with LARP and okay. you don't get the same knowledge of what really works sometimes and when I, when I started reenactment there were more freeform battles which is why that was useful because those did teach me something about tactics and what worked and aggression um, but I, you know, I think I learned more about that from LARP there's one of the guys who plays in the marches now and doesn't fight anymore because like all of us he's got a bit older but I was playing one of PD's old games and I, was, I, wanted to call, I wanted to roll another group and they were really big and they were really scary and no one wanted to fight them. And I was trying to get a bunch of people who were keen to do it and I didn't think I'd got enough people. And this guy, Paul, just said to me, well, that's all right, we'll attack first, we'll win. And I was like, no, we won't, they outnumber us two to one and they're really good. And he's like, nah, we'll, we'll attack them and then we'll win because whoever attacks first always wins. Yeah. And I thought that was nonsense. And I found out later he's basically right. Um, within, within reason... The attack, whoever attacks gets the initiative, they get the psychological upper hand. You, the other people think, oh, they're attacking us, they must know something, they, they're good, they'll, yeah. they'll lose. So the, all those nations that do really well at Empire now, I think what you can notice is they tend to have quite a, one, an attacking mindset, they're also quite objective-focused, and they tend to l split into smaller units. Yeah. So the League is small, full stop. Um, Dawn uses lances, Navarre splits into subunits. All of them focus on what you have to do to win a battle rather than just killing people. So they all tend to win. Yeah. Um, standing statically, you give the initiative to the enemy, you let them dictate the fight, you let them decide how they're going to win, and you're just wholly on the back foot. So I dislike it as a tactic. Um, doesn't work. Now, in reenactment, you don't find out just how bad it is because you get, get away with it because of a script. Yeah. So if you let someone come to you, well, they're allowed to fight you for five minutes before the someone tells them to retire back to their starting point start again. Well, as we've seen in LARP battles, if one mistake it can turn into a slaughter, the initiative yeah. means everything. Absolutely, yeah. So you, you won't get that slaughter in the reenactment because they'll, they'll step in to stop it to keep the script. 
Um, occasionally it breaks and you suddenly find you've accidentally wiped some people out and you've got to work a fix really fast. But yeah, for LARP, yeah, it's just a disaster waiting to happen. I love it. Oh yeah, well, I suppose Druge with Venom and other scary, spooky things like weaknesses really put your character on the spot and like a... Uh, you get no yeah. nasty surprises like that in reenactment. Would you say having abilities in LARP has honed your skills as a general because you have to be more prepared for the unexpected? So, yeah, you have to, you have, to have an awareness of what's going to happen next. And also, if you're, tr if you're thinking about trying to keep the initiative, what you really want to be doing is you put yourself in a mindset where you make the unexpected happen to the other person first rather than you. And if you're constantly attacking, they're never getting the chance to come up with this sneaky druge plan. You can squish it before it starts. And I think the main thing I got from reenactment I still use is you have some, some level of command skills, the ability to control a group that's very helpful. Okay. And you do have some read for a battlefield, for how fast a unit can move. Um, it's very easy when you come in as a new LARPer, I think, to sort of get the idea that you're all going to be sprinting around the battlefield at high speed. But that's not how it works. You lose your cohesion. We can't all run at the same speed. Before you know it, your unit's useless. So at reenactment, I was with a lot of very unfit people at times. And um, yeah. you kind of think, well, I've got to march at my mate's bit pace. Otherwise, when I get there, he's not going to be there. And he's our best polearm fighter. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, th that's helpful. And you, you, do, you do get a lot, of, lot from it that goes say, both directions. One of the things I find as well is you start thinking about how you're trying to tell a story. Because reenactment, you're trying to put a script on okay. that you've been told what it is. Whereas... At LARP, you're making up a story, and you are, you're almost doing the same thing. But to tell a story the way a reenactor wants to do, it's really helpful to have a LARP mindset. You go in and think, well, I'm this person. What, how should I behave? And you're, you're acting in the way that yeah, the public see. I think it's very interesting that LARP isn't just hit people with a foam sword or a foam weapon. It's a giant stage performance that everyone's playing a character for. Will my character die? Will this character die? How will that impact me? Whereas reenactment just seems... Okay, in, out, we've reenacted this. There's no stakes particularly, is that true? No, there are, but it tends to be on a much more individual level. And what you tend to find is, like, reenactments, sort of medieval reenactment I tend to do more of, a lot of it's down to the individual ego. Someone goes into a fight thinking, well, I want to have a good fight today. I want to have some single combat, so I want to break a pole arm block. I want to stab that guy with a sword. And... No, you do the same battle for a couple of days over a weekend, and you might want to personally fight better. Yeah. So your stakes are internal. You're not thinking about, well, if I don't win this battle today, no, one, I've lost my character to make a new one. Also, I, no, maybe I'll survive the battle, but everyone I know will be lost and my territory will be gone. Some thing that you care about, because you're much more immersed in the game. Oh, yes, you've got a lot of motivation, especially, especially in the league, of course. It's all the competition. We have to be the best. We yeah. can't lose to the Druze, we'll lose our winning streak. Yeah, and one of the things I find interesting is if you meet um, reenactors from Europe, they view reenactment at LARP differently than we do. Okay. So they're bored, they're, where they put the line between the two is in a different place. So over here, we tend to think reenactment is I dress up as this historical character, I fight with steel weapons, and I try to recreate the period in some way. Um, but I had a friend from Germany who moved over to England who came to one of our reenactments and said well you're LARPing and we said well this isn't LARP this is reenactment and she said well you're at this site that didn't have this historic battle really happen here you've made it up so that you can do the show you've made up a mock story to go with it you're LARPing oh that's very um, interesting I never yeah. thought of it like that yeah well I, I thought it was a bit of an eye-opener for me and as time has gone on I've realized that she was probably right and a lot of the reenactment they'll do on the continent they 
they'll place it in a slightly different box. Right. And so I think the line between the two is actually quite blurry because you can have a you can have a historical LARP when whether you're using steel swords or latex swords is irrelevant really. What matters is you're playing these characters. And that historical LARP could be actually a brilliant reenactment. Okay. And a good quality, very immersive reenactment is essentially a LARP. That's a very interesting way to think about it. We're not that different after all. Not really. And the main difference is the public. Oh, yeah. If you took the public away from an average reenactment group but told them to do a show, they'd rapidly start LARPing. They would just keep doing their living history displays, their fights, their combats. Um, I'm one of the premier... European reenactment groups, one called the Company of St. George, they're very well regarded. Yeah. And they don't do much battle reenacting the way that we think of it. But they did do one a couple of years ago with the siege. And they set up two siege camps, one inside the castle, one outside. And the aim was they were going to spend three days reenacting the two camps. And at the end, they would storm the castle. And apparently, the actual storming the castle took about half an hour because once they'd got going, it turned out that someone on the outside had bribed the defensive gunners to not fire at them. The, they were doing it on a very realistic fighting system where if someone hit you with a sword, you probably died. Okay. Um, so it was just a blur of combat after a weekend of essentially LARP. You know, you're playing your historic character in a siege camp. You try to get the other lot to not kill you or to turn their yeah. coats. It sounds great. That sounds fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, with doing reenactments, you also did HEMA, right? Yeah. Does that come into the battlefield much, or do you have to refrain your what you know is HEMA on the battlefield because it's a completely different fighting system? It's another answer that's both. Oh. So anything you do that's more hours with a sword in your hand, is or a polearm or whatever, is helping you because you're getting some skills you're developing. There's some instincts that you might say, well, I must not stab them in the mouth. You know, you're yeah. not going to do those sorts of moves. But one of the philosophies you tend to think with any martial artist that comes to, and we get loads of martial artists in LARP um, is if you're skilled enough that you're actually dangerous with your art whatever it is whether it's HEMA or karate or anything you should also have the self-control to then hold back those moves if you haven't got that control you're not that good no, no I find HEMA really useful for this just because it pushes you to move at a different speed because LARP reenactment HEMA all allow different moves the weapons handle slightly differently and all of them have some things in common, some of the footwork, some of the awareness. And I've been recently doing a lot of HEMA sparring with someone much better than me. And he is lightning fast. Right. And trying to stop him just taking my head off every single time we fight is improving my LARP fighting because it's improving my dodging no end. Okay, that's fantastic. So, you're not just a fighter on the field and in the general tent, you're also a fighter on the dance floor. <laughs> have your uh, dance classes affected your... LARP combat style at all? Have you tried to weave in dance and fighting? I don't tend to combine the two at the same time, but I think one makes you better at the other. Um, I regularly find myself smiling a little bit inside when either a dance teacher or a fighting teacher says something that the other one has said the week before. Um, I just did a course on coaching uh, sword fighting and a lot of the same things that are being told there. I was thinking, oh, I could use this in a dance lesson. You know, oh. the same ways that you're teaching this. So the, the teacher in question that was teaching us is a guy called Guy Windsor. He's a superb HEMA um, teacher. And one of his principles is this idea that when someone's doing a physical skill, you diagnose issues and then you try to fix that problem. And that this principle that anything a, a student does, whether they're a fighter or a dancer, if they're doing something that you would say is wrong, they're doing it for a reason. They're doing it as a solution to a problem they found. So if you're, if you're swinging a poleaxe at me and you're not quite reaching far enough, you're holding your arms too far back, there's a reason you're doing that. You're okay. not doing it because you've chosen to put your arms in the wrong place. You're doing that because 
there's a fighting problem that you've encountered and that's fixed it. So I've got to find out what your problem was, fix it a different way and give you a... Ideally, I come up with a situation where you fight using like that pole axe the perfect way is the solution to the problem I've given you. And then you'll start doing it the perfect way. And I can do that with a dancer. I can say, I want you to do an ocho cortada in tango and I want you to do it. But if you're not doing it right, I'll find a way to make you do it right. Oh, I have to admit, I was more terrified at you at the little mother's ball teaching me how to dance than actually on the battlefield itself. There was a lot more pressure there. I think people feel pressured about dancing because they take it personally. If it looks, They feel like they're on the spot and being judged, which is horrible because I, I, I'm a big evangelist for dancing. I, I love it. I, I think everyone should be allowed to dance and there's nothing really pisses me off more than someone taking the piss out of someone else's dancing. Ah, it's, yeah. You know, Cuts deep. It does. It's quite hurtful. And also, it just puts them off from doing it. I think you, if you mock someone's dancing once, they probably won't do it again. You just want to get them to enjoy it and love it. Yeah, exactly. You came back. Sorry to swing you in here randomly, Morgan. Back from Glorious Affair, a changed man who wanted to dance all the time. Yes, it's specifically your fault that I'm going to set emotions, but you're not, you're not going to be there? I am going to be there. Okay. I'll be dancing and learning this time. I won't be teaching this I think, time. I think somebody said to me... Um, uh, regarding your teaching is that irrelevant of who you are, irrelevant of your gender, dancing with you, Tim, you feel, you feel like a princess <laughs> when you're dancing with Tim. <laughs> but yes, no, I enjoyed it no matter how terrible I was. <laughs> you weren't terrible either. I mean, you actually moved very well. But I think going back to your question, I think a lot of fighters do move quite well because it, most martial arts give you, whether it's LARP or Jiu-Jitsu, you get an awareness of your body, which is what you want when you dance. Um, and my favourite dance is Argentine Tango, which is all about connecting with the other partner, moving together, reading how their body's going, and you're not trying to make them do anything. You don't force them around as a leader, you ask. And you know, again, I think that has a lot in terms of common with LARP, because in LARP, you're collaborating. And even in combat, it's a collaborative mm. story. I'm, my favourite LARP I've played by far is a Czech one called Dance Macabre. Oh, that sounds uh, interesting. I've not heard of that one. It is fantastic. So there is no speaking in the LARP. Uh, it's all done through dance. You spend a weekend doing workshops where you learn the basics of dance, and they give you a lot of workshops tools to use with your role play. And you create your characters as part of the workshops and come up with character links with other people, and then you just dance out your story. And so I was playing a dead policeman whose ghost had come back i found a mobster who'd ordered my hit i found the girlfriend i'd betrayed i found the guy i'd got in trouble and you know and you've come up you have those relationships and you resolve them through dancing with them it was very very intense it was really cool um, if gabriel ever dies you need to do a mercenary company that only communicates through dance that would be an interesting concept I don't, I've, i'm aware that i'm going to die at some point i've been playing this character since year one i've i've missed one event for my daughter to be born i've done the battles every other event i'm due to die it's going to happen. No one's got you yet. Not yet. But when it does, I'm not worried about dying. I'm not worried about losing the character that way. I think I've had a good innings. Yeah. The bit that worries me is that who's going to teach Senate Motions? And I've got Rowan who teaches with me now. Who's, she is actually a better dancer than me. Um, she's incredibly graceful. She's a superb ballroom dancer. But I really feel like I'm leaving her in the lurch. I'm sure she'll rise to the occasion and be able to teach everyone at the Empire. They'll get a better teacher. Oh, don't say that. Have... Well, since you've also spoken a bit about being in military council itself, have you taken any inspiration for any particular periods of history or any experiences on the battlefield in reenactment and taken it to the general's table itself? Maybe making some of the hard decisions, thinking about resource deployment, maybe just thinking about troop morale. Uh, so there's, there's 
there's fictional inspirations because I think most of us who play the military game before fictional inspirations want to play with. Like, yeah. I'm a big sucker for David Weber's Honor Harrington books. And when I came in thinking I want to play a military type who wants to rise to command, that was the characters in my mind. I'd be like, oh, I want to be like her. She's great. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of uh, non-fiction sources that are really good. There's uh, a writer called Little Heart who wrote a book called Strategy. It's fantastic. It revolutionised how I think about strategy and tactics. Um, by putting a whole extra dimension on top of those. Um, that would be a whole episode of podcasting in itself. Ooh, it sounds writing. interesting. It, it's good. I recommend to us, look up the book Strategy by Little Heart. It's amazing. Um, but yeah, that I took a lot of into Military Council because it starts to talk about how you deal with the diplomacy as a, as a tool of warfare, how you're not just worried about the fight in front of you, you're worried about what the implications of that fight and yeah. whether you just don't fight it at all sometimes. So yeah, that's... No, really relevant. And it's also quite useful for the battlefield, not just the military council tent, but if you're leading on the battlefield through the Sentinel Gate, on a tactical level, one of the things that Little Heart talks about is the indirect approach being very successful. Strategically, is his main thrust. But as you found for the way the league fights, we're not really that interested in body counts. It doesn't tend to win you the battle. Nope. But if you can appear at a point where you look threatening as a unit and you make the enemy move to get out of your way because you're worried you're going to flank them, you've made the enemy move you achieved basically what you wanted. Sometimes you can clear all the way to the objective by just making them move because they're scared of you flanking them. Not going to lie, I will always think, regret last year not being able to make the League steamroller at E4. Oh, it was... I, I love the League. I think that's one of the best I've ever seen them. They, I, and they were incredible. In that I, They were just on this form of not stopping and I felt like you could see it in the faces of all the characters. Because once they felt like they were winning, they wanted to keep going even though it was going. Hard. Yeah. And that goes back to the same thing I was saying about my mate in the marches and his advice. You know, you keep attacking and the initiative's there. And there's a few times when we turned the flanks of forces that were actually significantly bigger than us and they were definitely fresher because we were knackered. Yeah. And no, they were sort of happily giving ground to us and we're thinking, well, if we don't let on that we're really knackered, we can keep going. Ooh, that, that's very good advice. So how would you advise a new young general or mercenary captain going onto the field, maybe the first time, maybe taking command for the first time? What would your advice be for them on the battlefield? Just one piece of advice. Okay. Oh, do you want just oh, one? No, or do no, you... no, go for it. Bullet <laughs> like, points all my, the way. My, my just one piece of I'm advice I'm going to write is... down notes for myself. My, my just one piece of advice would be read my book. Oh, you have a book? <laughs> I've got two. I wrote one in year one because when I first came to Empire, loads of people hadn't done battles before and okay. there were a lot of really rookie errors being made. So, and I used to write an advice column for um, the pledge when it was being written and used to write a different thing, which was basically aimed at giving advice to new fighters. And okay. Like, you know, you're a new LARPer, maybe you could think about doing this. So it might be simple things like, hey, if you buy one true vein, you can just keep that with you. It doesn't matter if you're not a physic, you can give it to a physic and they'll use it on you. They've got no excuse for not healing you. And it's cheap. And so sometimes it just be simple things like that or advice on how to fight a big monster or that sort of thing. But if you're, no, if you're a new captain going out, my advice is get all the information in the world. Yes. If you can... It's much easier to fight a battle and keep all your troops alive if you know what you're supposed to be doing and how you're supposed to do it. And if you then communicate that to all your troops. So if you've found out, we're going out today to capture a box, it looks like this, the person holding it looks like Y... You find that out and you make sure you tell everybody. The number of people that you walk past at the Sentinel Gate and you overhear them and they say, so where are we fighting today? And their mate says, oh, we're fighting in Semesurak. And they go, oh, who are we fighting against? And you think, who's briefed you? What, what, what no one thinking? by the sounds of it. Yeah. But you also think, well, what chance do those people have got of winning the battle for you? 
And there was one a little while ago where Natalia, the other league general um, at the time, was was field marshal. Yeah. And I thought the league were really keen to win it for her. So she was a popular general and she'd briefed them. So they, they knew what they meant to do. There was a key point in the battle to get to. And early in the battle, they just powered up the battlefield through the enemy, ignoring the fact they'd run past the enemy, now completely surrounded, just to get to this key point and hold it. And their view was, well, we know what we've got to do to win. It's this one thing. So even if it's horribly dangerous, we'll do this one thing. Yeah. And they all knew it. And if you'd got some people who go out there who haven't been briefed, they can't even do that for you if they want to. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, What is the name of your book? And is it still available for purchase? I tend to give them away. I thought about selling them, but I could never. I'm a terrible trader. I could never be bothered. I, I tend to bring a few copies with me. I, I haven't this event. I'll, I'll bring you one. Oh, wonderful! Uh, but I think it's called the Way of Victory. Sounds interesting. And oh, well, you can't be talented at everything, can you? No, I'm not trading. <laughs> uh, who's got time for that anyway? Oh, I should have. Well, me these days. Have you, as a general, or at your time at Anvil, have you got a particular favourite battle that rings in your memory of? I led them fantastically. All my troops fought particularly hard for me this time and it's just stuck for you over the years if I'm honest that one where I thought literally the one I just mentioned the, I thought the league the, steamroller um, the league steamroller I think the one the one that they fought for Natalia I think is the one ah, proudest of yes. just because I felt like that was a, you could see the team effort going on and there and there's a few bits where I was frankly a little bit tired so I was hanging back a little bit and I couldn't keep up with all of the block and I could see them and I could see them breaking into subunits I could see how they were all fighting really intelligently and no, I could see the way their morale was seeing them through against opponents who didn't care as much and other nations who weren't as bothered and they just shone and I think that was the one where we had a force waiting of one because we'd lost a lot of people who'd gone off to fight somewhere else so it was the lowest force waiting the Empire has ever recorded That's quite a record for a victory then should go in a book. Have you done any, any LARPs other than the Empire system then? <laughs> yeah, I, so when I, I started LARPing really with Maelstrom when PD were doing that. And I went off and joined Cambridge Treasure Trap, uh, which is a local university system. And I joined that specifically because I wanted to learn to fight because I did a tournament at my first event. And I thought I'd be better than I was because I've been doing reenactment for ages. Okay. And the weapons weren't handling the way I expected. So I kept yeah. getting hit and when time is, I didn't think I would be possibly I could get hit. So I thought I'll go join and do lots of monstering in this local society and played with them. They're a lovely bunch of people. Um, still a lot of my good friends. I also met my wife there. So Oh, that's brilliant. Oh, she's great. Yeah, she tricked me. The first time I met her, she tricked me into murdering the high priest of my own religion. Well... What a woman. I know. Well, I suppose there is a massive difference as well between handling a foam weapon and an actual metal weapon. Yeah, they all they all work a bit differently. So I mean, obviously there's, there's variance in LARP weapons you've probably found yourself. You know, you yeah. go around the trader's row, they all got their own style. And then reenact weapons feel different again, and there, there's a range there. Hema weapons feel different to a different order of magnitude. They tend to actually be closer to the weight of the LARP weapons to the reenactment ones. Okay. So very heavy. But if you're trying to make a weapon blunt at the tip... Um, you've added a lot of steel to the end of a sword, for yeah. example. So you're actually increasing the weight by a couple of pounds, which is no small thing when you're swinging it at speed. Um, so yeah, they, they all handle very differently. Your footwork tends to be fundamentally similar. If you get your footwork right, I always think you can do sword fighting full stop. Yeah, the little bit of Hema I did, he was a lot more focused on the footwork than the actual swinging of the sword him- itself. No, I like him already. Yeah, he was he was very good. It's a shame the the trains t- changed in York, so I couldn't get there anymore. Oh, it's a shame. But uh, they, um, some some of the best HEMA teachers I've known, or some of the best 
fighting teachers in any school are focused on, my thing is everything the sternum and below. Yeah. But the problem you find with new students when they start fighting is they don't want to do that. It's not the sexy bit. They want to think about swinging the sword and doing, no, they want to do the bits in the Princess Bride and go, yeah. hi, you see you use Capoferro against me. And they're not thinking about where, but I want to do some, no, really clever rear traverses with my foot that will take me in this light dodge. I suppose that's the uh, difference between a novice and a master. Well, not that you can ever really master combat, I suppose. Uh, no, the best, one of the best teachers I ever had was my first reenactment instructor. And we had a guy in the group who was a bit of a dickhead, having a bit of an ego yeah. trip, as people do. And this guy, he was getting a little bit out of hand because he was trying to prove, and he just stood up with his girlfriend and was trying to make himself feel better by beating other people in the group in duels. Okay. And he was being quite boastful about right. it. And eventually my otherwise patient as a saint um, teacher said to him, there's no such thing as a better fighter. There's just one of those more styles. Okay. And it's always stuck with me as advice because I think you, know, you can think you're good, but then you go and fight someone who you're not used to, who does things a little bit differently, and they learn something. And everyone you fight will teach you something, okay. one way or another. Right. Well, I think we're going to wrap it up soon. But I think my last question is: Do you have a particular favourite weapon out of oh. all the ones at Anvil? What would be the king or queen of weaponry? You know I'm biased. I so... know you are, but I want to hear you say it. <laughs> so. A little while ago, a couple of us bought pikes, the nine-foot ones, and we have loved them dearly. The, the, reach, the reach advantage makes up for not being able to make any calls and only being able to stab with them. That, that is phenomenal. It's the, they're not the kind of weapon you create a huge kill count because you don't tend to damage one person yeah. and put them down, but you just do area effect. You, hit, you can reach a whole enemy line. You can hit everybody. They all take a couple of points of damage from you. They're all looking at you, and now all of your friends kill them because they're all busy looking at you. And I, that's my favourite thing to do with it, to be honest, is wait to see one of my friends fighting somebody, stab the person they're fighting so that they get my, I've got their attention, and then watch my friend butcher them. I've got to admit, uh, first time marching out with you guys in the National Block E1, I was like, got my little sword and my little buckler, <laughs> but I'm very jealous of the hel helberds and pikes. So later that day, went and bought a helberd, and it's changed my game. I'm a very short man, so getting into line fights, the helberds really helped me in that regard. In fact, I had a conversation about this just before I came over here uh, with a friend of ours who uh, is, no, she's about average height and she's wanting to buy a spear and mine is seven foot. Yeah. And when I first bought my first spear, my wife and I, my wife, my wife is quite short and she decided to buy a shorter spear than me. She thought it'd be more suitable for her height. So she wore hers at six foot and mine was seven. She was happy enough for ages. She's deadly with a spear. It was great. And then we got to an event where hers was damaged, so she borrowed mine for the weekend. And she came back and was like, I can't believe it. All this time has been so much more lethal. And, I've lost so uh, much time. Yeah. But yeah, the, no, having, one, having a weapon with that reach actually makes more difference if you're a bit shorter because the percentage of your height that you gain, the percentage oh, yes. of reach advantage is that much bigger. So yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan of getting you know, decent length pole arms, murdering everything in front of you. As I say, I'm quite happy being the support person poking and annoying people than actually being the hero on the battlefield. Is there anything you'd like to break, uh, bring up before we go? Or... No, thank you for having me. It's no, thank you really so fun. much for taking your time out of your uh, first day at Empire for us. It's been brilliant to have you on. Yeah, and thank you very much. I shall look forward to my eventual death. Have a good evening. You too.